Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Payments professor here, and I want to welcome you to the Payments Podium. Now, if you tuned in last time, you know that we were having a discussion with Attila. He is our faster payments risk expert. That's where we're going to say. He's been talking about the different fraud schemes that are happening now. If you remember, Attila's got a lot of experience in this, in working with larger financial institutions, implementing things like Zelle and real-time payments, and of course, same to ACH. And when we left off, he was talking to us about how you want to be able to have things like historical data. You want to be able to have their credit worthiness. You want to be making sure that you're monitoring everything, that you're putting controls in place when it comes to having limits, whether it's daily, whether it's an overall weekly on top of it, or individual limits. Now, one of the things that we didn't get answered last time, and I want to hit Attila with is, a lot of these financial institutions, when they're looking at things, uh, the credit push nature, which Fed now will be when we get it, which RTP is currently and available, and which Zelle is too, is do you let somebody send money they don't have? So if somebody wants to send, say, $50, but they have a $48 balance, what do you do in that type of situation? What's I, I know this is going to be opinion-based because my opinion is going to be, well, that's up to you. But what would your opinion be in that if you have somebody wanting to send something they don't have? So uh, we, it, whether it's emerging payments or legacy payments that you use as a consumer or even as a business, if you don't have the money in your account, you're not going to be able to send. Most banks are going to set it up in a way that they're not going to allow you to submit that payment instruction into that network, uh, whether that's Zelle, ACH, Wires, or any other payment rail. Uh, so if I'm a consumer, I, don't have, I have $48 on my account only, but I want to send $50, the system is going to cut me off and, and, and only allow me to send $48. Uh, there is, an, uh, and again, every bank is going to ap- apply the appropriate risk control uh, against uh, each, uh, each of their users. But uh, what I've seen so far that banks are cutting the line, I mean, putting their foot down, if you will, that if you don't have funds in your account, you're not going to be able to send funds out of the account. It doesn't matter that you're expecting funds at the end of the day when the funds are available to you as a user to be used on your account, that's when the application is going to open up again to you and it's going to allow you to send as much as you have available to you at that moment. All right. Now here, I want to open up a can of worms because, you know, I like to see things from every angle. When it comes to fraud and risk controls, I'm 100% with you. You don't send what you don't have. But when I talk to the other side of the house, which, you know, um, we got compliance in the middle to make sure that we're doing everything right. But on that other side of the house, that's going to be my sales staff. That's going to be the people that are sitting there going, well, how can I keep customers happy and how can I generate income for the financial institution? You know, that's always a big deal. And I've had many conversations with people that are sitting there saying, can we find a way to do a small short term loan for a small fee? when we hit this situation? Is there any way that when we have somebody who's wanting to send more than they, you know, than they got available to be able to have it set up for a very small fee, something that would work to in a risk modeling to be able to make a little bit of income off of this. And I sat there and said, that's brilliant, but wow, putting the controls and getting it automated and all the other disclosures and things that gotta be in place would be fun. 
What would be your opinion on doing something like that? Because I'm hearing a lot of chatter about something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say that the larger the financial institution you are, the more likely that you're going to be able to give that user that short-term learn, uh, I mean, loan on the, on the moment, right? So that means that you have all the appropriate uh, tools in place in order to open a, a, a credit line, if you will, on the, uh, on the spot with that user, if the user needs to send out the money for, to pay for their rent, let's say. So uh, the larger the financial institution are, the more likelier that you have every pl- everything in place for you to be able to offer that type of service to your client. Right, as you go up the, or down the chain in an asset size uh, with the bank, uh, the more likely that banks are uh, uh, aspiring to be in that same position. So they are building out their infrastructure that would allow me, the user, uh, to, uh, uh, to request a credit loan, uh, I mean a credit line, or a loan uh, that would allow me to pay off my, uh, uh, my rent uh, when it's due at the end of the day today. So, it's happening in a very uh, a very small pocket of the country, uh, but every bank is looking at it very aggressively because just like you said, that's another revenue, net, net, net new revenue generation potential for that financial institution. Yeah, yeah. once you, once you met, mention um, revenue, you get people's ears to perk up. But I want to go back to the risk discussion because let's keep that going. And one of the things, you know, that to be able to do this and have the tools, you would have to have the proper agreements and everything in place. Well, let's just go back to if you're implementing and putting in place these faster payment systems, these credit push systems, is there anything unique or specific that people should be considering to have in their customer agreements that will help protect the financial institution or that needs to be brought to the attention of the, the consumer who's gonna be sending this money? Yes, and I actually wanna step aside a little bit with that comment. Uh, I wanna say that uh, uh, if you don't have, uh, uh, if you are partnering with a with vendor or a FinTech, that's gonna allow you to get this solution to the market uh, you you should work, and you 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 will get the appropriate uh, assistance from that vendor in order to get all these nuances in front of the consumer. So, uh, as a consumer, if I use the Zelle platform for the first time, I have to agree to a set of rules. Uh, I have to sign off that I agree to those rules, uh, not just that I read it. Uh, so, you as a as a financial institution, when you implement these type of applications or channels you have to do it the right way so it doesn't come back and bite you uh, if you didn't uh, uh, educate your client about the usage of this channel that you are uh, opening up to them. So, uh, right, so you, 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 every financial institution is going to do their best uh, to, to, to do that education piece, that uh, uh, payments 101, if you will, at upfront before the user is uh, uh, con- committing to transact on that rail. So you have to put your focus on that uh, in the beginning for sure. Whether you do that with a FinTech partner that's gonna assist you with building out the infrastructure, with building out the educational material, or you do this by your own internally, you still have to do that. Uh, But uh, I highly suggest that you partner with the FinTech because they have the experience, the appropriate experience that would get you into a place that you would uh, uh, you would be able to 
uh, educate your client uh, uh, day one when they start using the application and not come back and fall back on the uh, uh, on a scenario when the uh, when a fraud happens, the consumer comes back to you and tells you that hey, you never told me that this fraud could happen. So you want to go in front. You want to be proactive. You want to uh, you you want to implement the right tools for every channel that you are implement uh, you're, you're launching to the market. That's true because you know I call it the the CYA agreements. You're covering yourself to make sure that you cover your assets so that everything is protected in case something or not in case when something goes wrong because we all know it is at point some point going to happen. But is, is there anything though that is specific to those channels people should be more aware of than uh, other channels? Yeah, so I mean, like with every fraud scenario, you all you you're gonna you're gonna look at your environment, right? So you you potentially have we have two sec we have an authorized party fraud and you have an unauthorized party fraud. So uh, within each of these segments, with authorized party fraud, uh, uh, you 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 have the authorized party fraud happen because it was manipulated by somebody. Uh, uh, whether that was through a product or a service that you allowed uh, to be used or whether it was through a relationship that you had in place. So you have to have the appropriate tools in place for the authorized fraud uh, uh, scenarios and the unauthorized fraud scenarios. And when I call authorized fraud scenario, I also look at compromised credentials. Uh, uh, you look at uh, uh, impersonification of an authorized party, you look at potentially physical alteration. I walk into a branch with a falsified uh, uh, driver's license and I want to conduct transactional activity that way. So you have to get, you have to have all your entry points covered, whether that's uh, uh, authorized or unauthorized uh, uh, and whether the, the, the user that you are uh, opening this channel up to, it's a consumer or a corporate client as well. I hope that made sense. That does, because I mean, one of the big things is is you've nailed it for me when I've done this discussions about faster fraud and I've done many classes on it because I, I think it's a huge topic that's going to happen. I was actually doing it a couple of years ago, but I would do it from the perspective of what happened in the UK. You know, this is the fraud they saw. And I said, there's two types. There's the type that, you know, is somebody gets duped. And this is what you called otherwise party. And this is where it, let's say it's me. I'm the account holder. I get conned or I get tricked into sending money to somebody I'm not going to get, you know, anything back from. Like, for example, I did faster payments and puppy scams last summer where I showed that, you know, there are people saying, hey, send this money, send it via one of these channels. So they get it instantly, but you never get the puppy. So, you know, that's the otherwise I got tricked fraud, whereas the unauthorized is more of somebody compromised my credentials, somebody did account takeover, somebody got into my account and it wasn't me, I wasn't tricked, I wasn't duped, but somebody else got in there and they emptied out my account. So that's what you're saying about those. Those are the two main types of what's gonna happen as far as the fraud in the faster payment scheme, correct? That, that is perfectly correct, yep. Now here's the question and it may be two answers because there is the otherwise and there is the unauthorized, the dispute process. What's that dispute process gonna look like if it is the otherwise party fraud? Let's start with that one. Let's say I'm calling you up, Attila. Yeah, um, somebody uh, told me they were gonna send me a puppy and uh, I sent them a thousand dollars using that faster scheme, but I didn't get my puppy. I want my money back. 
What's what's that look like as far as the dispute process? So uh, I'm going to step back to that uh, comment that I made earlier that as a financial institution, when you open up a channel to a user, you want to educate them up, uh, accordingly. And and one part of an education process, it's if, if, if you have to read a set of uh, 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 FAQs in order to educate yourself at the as a first time user, maybe that's how you educate them. But if you don't know the party who you're sending the funds to, uh, and you commit and you execute the transaction, the bank is not going to be held liable for that because you authorized that transaction. You were the only party that was familiar with the intended receiver. So uh, you, you are going to be ultimately uh, responsible for that. If, if you, if you want to buy a puppy from a puppy mill and you pay them ahead of time before you even saw a physical picture of the puppy that you're buying, the bank cannot do anything for you. It's just like me walking off, uh, uh, walking in, uh, walking at, uh, to a football game and buying a ticket from a scalper. And uh, before I go to, uh, to the, to, I, I go through the gate with the ticket. The ticket uh, agent tells me that, hey, this is not a, uh, 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 this is a false ticket. You cannot enter the premise. It's the same concept. If you don't know who your receiver is you shouldn't be sending funds to them. It's a different story if somehow the fraudster accesses in a brute force way uh, the application and either your uh, user ID uh, commits a, a, a financial transaction uh, or a fraudulent, uh, submit a, a financial transaction fraudulent, fraudulently into the network. In that case, the bank is gonna look at, uh, uh, see, uh, it's gonna review, it's gonna investigate how the fraudster got in, whether or not you left your user ID and password on your on your on the back of your laptop, uh, and somebody got access to it, or somebody a, a, a smarter hacker or more well uh, equipped hacker somehow gets access to that user credential and gets into the system, uh, uh, right? So uh, the banks are going to look at it uh, both ways, and and they are they are making a significant they are putting in significant steps to. Uh, educate the client before you start using a particular channel. And it's up to you as a user too, to know what you're doing uh, and who you're sending funds to. I mean, if I walk, as I said, if I don't know the intended receiver, uh, I'm not going to send them the money. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't that. give money to somebody you don't know. Well, this is no yep. different. And, you know, I also tell people, think of it like you're handing cash over. So if I'm gonna hand cash over to somebody who says they're gonna give me a puppy and they're not holding a puppy to give me, that's a huge red flag. And, and you know, and I, I gotta stress out for stress out, stress to all of our, our listeners out there too. The financial institutions do not warrant goods and services. These payment channels do not warrant goods and services. They warrant that the payment's gonna take place according to the details of the agreement, that's all. But let's touch on that unauthorized for a minute. If it is unauthorized and you're able to do your research and you find that, yeah, it was truly an unauthorized payment, will I get my money back in that case? In most cases, yes. But again, I don't want to speak uh, for every financial institution out there. If, it, if the investigation, if the results of that investigation comes back that your account was fraudulently taken over, an ATO happened, uh, and, and then the investigation comes back that you did not leave your user ID and password in the back of your laptop, 
but somehow got a, a, a hold of it. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna investigate. They're gonna go after the fraudulent uh, uh, after the fraudster and try to get the funds back to you, uh, and they will make you whole. But again, I want to make sure that I emphasize that the bank will have to in, complete in their investigation. They have to get to the end of the uh, story, whether or not you deliberately or by mistake left your user ID and password uh, or your credentials out there for someone to be taken, or somebody just took over. Uh, uh, based on your poor, and I wanna I wanna open that up into, into another channel. Uh, it, it, they 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 got a hold of your user credentials because of your poor authentication uh, protocols, or because of your poor uh, uh, password uh, 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 protocols that you uh, uh, have in place as a as a financial institution too. Or the user is using the very simple password uh, one two three four five. Uh, right, so they're going to investigate every aspect of this uh, fraudulent transaction before. Uh, uh, but in in in, the, in those cases, when an unauthorized party accessed your account, used a channel to move the funds out, they're going to make you hold. Okay, uh, and, and and one one thing, because when you get the simple passwords, the professors went through the fun of getting a whole new phone. And oh my gosh, what that has caused me on having to reset passwords. And I thought I was good at passwords, but now the what the requirements, only certain characters of, oh, it's gotten crazy and become hard to make a simple password that I can remember. So I know a lot of that is happening, but you keep mentioning investigation. Is that the reggae investigation? Because like, for example, in the card world, we, we know if you gave your card, your access device to somebody else to use, and they committed, you know, took more money out than you wanted, that's your fault, not the financial institution. So we do a Reg E investigation. We look at uh, ACH, same thing. Now for consumers, of course, for consumers, is it going to be the same thing? If you have a claim using uh, Zelle or RTP or in the future, uh, FedNow, and it's a consumer and they're claiming unauthorized, is that going to be the same type of Reg E investigation that's going to take place? E -E and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, uh, uh, I'm not gonna know for sure the correct answer to be, to, to be honest with this one. Uh, Reggie applies to certain scenario just like you described. If you allowed, uh, if you shared your credentials or you shared your uh, payment model with someone and you, uh, you trusted them to move the, to, 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 to execute the transaction. Uh, but they moved more than you originally uh, uh, allowed them to do, then it's going to be up to you uh, uh, to fight that. The financial institution is going to investigate that and they're going to get to the bottom of it. I, and I, I know I, I'm dancing around that topic because it's a very uh, uh, interesting topic with, a, uh, uh, with multiple uh, complexities that come at it. Uh, but if it's a trade through, you gave access to someone, uh, uh, you, you move the funds, Reggie will apply and the bank will work with you. Okay. And this, and this very, is the part that I am. Very good answer. I, I, okay, so if I'm getting this right though, here's the thing, you know, I just wanna know if there's any other advice you would give to people that are out there implementing these systems. When it comes to, you know, like we had in part one, the fraud, you want to make sure that you're putting limits in place. And you, those limits are hard to establish if you don't have historical data, but if you have it, use the historical data. But you can have weekly limits, daily limits, transaction limits, number of transaction limits as well. All of those limits will apply. Velocity, yep. 
right? And then when it comes to the different types of fraud, we're gonna see the what you call the otherwise party fraud and then the um, unauthorized fraud. And that comes down to making sure you have education agreements and still some controls that are gonna be in place and an investigation process and procedures. Any other piece of advice that you would give to financial institutions out there of what they should be considering when it comes to risk and fraud controls as they're looking towards implementing these newer systems? What would you say, hey, yes, you need to have all this, but is there anything else you would add to that? Yes, I, I would highly suggest that a financial institution becomes a member of uh, the number of uh, uh, industry groups that are happening around the country, right? Whether that's through the NACHA uh, mega payment uh, engagement uh, or, or whether that's through the Chicago Payments Task Force uh, or the uh, Federal Reserve Bank uh, Task Force for Fraud. You want to participate in these groups and you want to learn from each other because they are sharing valuable information amongst banks, uh, amongst themselves. Uh, uh, just so you can take that back in-house and then apply it to your shop if it's necessary. So you want to not just, the, you, this is a two-step uh, process, right? You want to educate your clients, uh, client base, but you also want to continue educating yourself because uh, this space is moving at a, a, a so fast and so many uh, new things are happening that you want to be aware of uh, of, of, of a new uh, monitoring uh, uh, tool that exists out there that you might not hear about it because we don't participate in face-to-face -face, uh, 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 payment conferences. And it's a lot harder to really uh, 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 understand what else is happening in the industry. But there, as I said, there are a number of uh, 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 working groups, uh, whether that's through your regional AFP or uh, regional Fed councils or the FASTA payment uh, 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 work project that NACHA held, you want to participate in industry top, uh, uh, engagements because you're going to learn from it as a financial institution uh, for sure. Uh, I got to just pick or just follow. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to say something or just follow the payments professor because he's got a lot of great topics on this. Well, I wasn't even going to mention famous professor, but yes, please do follow me because yeah, I will definitely find out the information for you, but I 100% agree with you. Some of the groups that were mentioned, just to reiterate, uh, not just Payment Innovation Alliance, it's open to financial institutions and payment processors out there as well. Been a member for several years and highly encourage participation in it. Uh, one that you may not have mentioned or I may have missed is the payment associations. There are multiple payment associations out there that work with multiple payment channels. So they'll be able to help you and assist you in faster payments, checks, cards, ACH, all of that, wires too. I mean, they're there for those. So look at those associations like Epcor, Niche, they're out there providing all of these services. Definitely work with them. And the Faster Payments Council, uh, I know I'm learning a lot from being on that council too, a lot of the information they're coming out there, but it really comes down, it sounds like you said, to educate yourself. All right, well, Attila, I got one last question for you before I do let you go. And the thing I wanna put on, or the question I wanna ask here, that, that what I'm gonna put up on you here is you've had a great career in what you've done as far as the banking industry and payments and seeing how you've been able to take on these brand new payment channels. Taking on new payment channels is fun. I've done it myself, you know, in the new projects, but you've been very successful at it. And I've told you before that a lot of people listen to the payments professor are new to the payments arena. 
but they're looking for advice as far as how can I improve my career? What should I be looking at? What should I be doing to be able to improve my career? Where is payments going to go? What should I be doing? So my question to you is if you're, you're going to give that advice, maybe it's that advice you would give to a younger Attila when you're first getting started in the banking industry, mm -hmm. that person who's coming in to the banking industry and tell them, this is what you should do. And this is what's going to help your career and help you to be able to advance. What would you tell them? Uh, I mean, the easiest way, uh, the easiest uh, 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 comment that I would have is just always ask the question. Uh, whether you ask the question from your current employer or you ask the question from a, a, an experienced industry thought leader, uh, continue participating in this uh, uh, in this space. Uh, there are multiple national uh, payment councils that are free for uh, 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 not just bank employees, but even corporate clients as well. Uh, 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 and, and I'll put something out there that uh, the, the, the power of the internet uh, has the ability to get you the appropriate answer for the question that you might have, and you don't have the right person uh, immediately available to you to get it. Uh, uh, use the tools that are available to you internally at your workplace. Uh, continue asking the question, uh, whether that's internally or external uh, uh, subject matter experts. But uh, uh, it's it, 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 it's a great time to be in payments, uh, uh, especially now with the RTP and Fed now coming around uh, at, a, at, a, at such a high speed. Uh, uh, and, and, and the tools and the knowledge is out there. You just have to keep asking. I could not agree more. Well, until I want to thank you again. This turned out to be a great two-part series. Uh, it's an exciting topic as far as what's happening in the world of faster payments. And for all of you out there, ask the question. If there's a topic you would like to have on the payments podium or even on one of the YouTube channel videos, make sure you ask the payments professor. You can do so by leaving comments or you can email me directly, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. And I gotta say, for now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.